Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. You're listening to Queers, a podcast about politics and culture with Simon Copland and Benjamin Riley. Okay... Uh, I will... Actually, I might just turn my game down a little bit, because I'm really just hitting the red too much. That is better. Okay, I'll clap first. One, two, three... It's the 11th of September, 2018. I'm Benjamin Riley. And I'm Simon Copland. Welcome to Queers. Each episode, we talk our way through questions on a theme, and this week, we're talking about consent. Uh, but maybe just before we get going, last week, uh, in our last episode, we spoke about we've both got some travel plans coming up, uh, and we were just a bit vague about what our plans were going to be with the podcast. I think I'm away for two weeks and you're away for four weeks, Ben, is that right? Yes, yes. So, And there's basically no overlap, so we're going to have like a six weeks of us travelling. Yeah, uh, so... and you'll, you'll notice that even though we are recording this on the 11th of September, it's coming out at least a week later. You know, we timestamp these things in case... Uh, I don't know, something happens in the news that makes that meaningful, but better to have the actual date we're recording on recording it on uh, rather than make something up in the future. But the out-of-whackness of the date is uh, a symptom of our crazy schedules over yeah, the next well, this, t- this time next months. week I'll be in the UK, um, so it's hard to record from there unfortunately um but i guess what we what you know where we're at is that uh, we're not gonna we're gonna have this episode and then we're not gonna have any more episodes while we're record while we're traveling uh which is sort of the rest of september and all october except hopefully maybe some interviews that we might be able to do overseas or some recordings of, of, of different things overseas but we, we probably won't have any regular episodes really until until november i guess um because that's when after when you get back yeah, so we're going to try to, uh, you know, record a few interviews, as I think we mentioned on the last episode, and uh, they might be a little kind of slapdash in terms of us putting them together and posting them from our travels, but I think it might be nice to, to get those little dispatches from the US and the UK uh, rather than radio silence for a month and a half. So we'll we'll try to do that and, you know, we'll, we'll be sort of in, intermittently engaging on social media and things. Uh, during that time as well, so you can certainly still reach us. Yeah, and, and and we'll let you know what's happening on the social media pages. So if if we're not getting episodes out, we'll we'll let you know about that as well. As the Me Too movement continues to grow, attention has naturally turned towards solutions to the problem of sexual violence. One area of important discussion has been around consent, with calls in particular that we should move toward a model, both socially and in legal frameworks, of enthusiastic consent. Now, we've talked a bit about this before. In episode 42, we spoke broadly about sexual assault within queer communities and in doing so touched on questions of consent. But this week, we wanted to take it a bit further, talking about the very nature of consent as a response to sexual assault and harassment. A term that has become synonymous with discussions about sexual assault, consent is increasingly spoken about as a simple solution to the issue. 
for example, in a widely viewed video, and I think this is from about 2015, so it's not a new one, uh, Blue Beat Studios compared conversations about consent with offering someone a cup of tea, concluding in the video that, and I say this in, in quotes, uh, if you can understand how ludicrous it is to force people to want tea when they don't want tea, and you're able to understand when people don't want tea, then how hard is it to understand when it comes to sex? End quote. But, of course, is it really that simple? Can we solve sexual assault through consent frameworks? And are there challenges that come up with consent even as a concept? So, Simon, to get started, uh, enthusiastic consent as an idea, a good framework, or do you think it's one with some problems? Well, I kind of wanted to, I thought it'd be good to, you know, to, to, to think about enthusiastic consent, both because it's something that is being taught, spoken about quite prominently now in response to the Me Too movement, but I also, for me, it highlights some of the problems with consent as a framework for dealing with sexual assault, or at least as a framework that, you know, in, you know, for example, in this T video, which I'd love to talk about and, and we'll post in the, in the um, show notes, something that frames consent as a sort of simple solution or as a coverall solution to sexual assault. Or, you know, we just need to, you know, talk about consent as a way of dealing with sexual assault as a, as a problem. Because I think that what's really interesting for me about enthusiastic consent is how it sort of takes a, it, it tries it tries to create a simplified solution to the problem, but it also has for me a whole range of problems. Um, and and the biggest problem for me, I mean, we should, we should perhaps try to define enthusiastic yeah, consent. Yeah, I guess so. And to be honest, I I, I think that's a challenging question in and of itself in some ways. But before we kind of launch into a critique, yeah, that's of probably it. a good point. Um, I mean, I think you know, so so the moved, so I guess. Consent is around the idea that, that that both parties should be consenting to a sexual to a sexual uh, to sexual intercourse or sexual activity if it's occurring, uh, and I think enthusiastic consent tries to take it a step further to say that there should be some sort of um, active yes in the process of some form that there should be some sort of uh, show of enthusiasm in this. So it, it's trying to get rid of that situation where. Uh, in a case of sexual assault, someone claims that they thought they had received consent, but but in fact someone had been um, silent because they were fearful, or they'd been very quiet, or they hadn't. So they hadn't directly said no, but they hadn't said yes. Whereas a, a enthusiastic consent tries to say, well, you should be seeking yeses. You should be talking about seeking yeses and asking for it in a positive way, rather than just relying on not getting a no if that makes sense does that do you think that summarizes it in a kind of in a good way yeah yeah i think so yeah and i I think for me the problem i have with it is that well i think there's a couple of problems firstly i think consent as a framework has a whole range of issues around gatekeeping that i think are really problematic and that it assumes that there is a person who who wants sex and a person who doesn't want sex or a person who is uh, ambivalent about sex potentially. And normally it's the man who wants sex who has to ask consent for the woman from the woman. And that is, has got a whole range of heteronormative assumptions behind it. But this, the, totally, the, and and sexist ones for that matter. Yeah, and extremely sexist ones. The the ones that assume, yeah, that you know, it, and this is how it's always framed. And, and you can see this in that in that tea video. It's the person who there's a person who has tea and is offering someone tea. There's no mutuality around. Let's drink tea together. Uh, you know, let's 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 boil a cup of tea together. Let's do this. Uh, let's you know, it's one person offering and one person receiving, and one person has to has to consent. And I think that that is inherently problematic in its in and of itself. And it, and there's a whole range of stuff around sex that I think that you know around sexual relations that I think are really difficult around that. The problem with enthusiastic consent is it takes it even that takes that that issue even further. And that you know that 
the, the the simple issue I have with it is that I'm sometimes not a very enthusiastic person, yet and also sometimes <laughs> when I'm not a very enthusiastic person, I'm, I'm someone who wants sex, right? And wants to be having sex, but I'm not someone who's going to jump up and down about it all the time. And I know plenty of people like that, people who I've had sex with, who you know, I've had great sex with, but you know, I didn't go, do you want to have sex? And they went, yay, let's have sex. Um, so, you, so you're a, a horny misanthrope, is yeah, what you're saying. Yeah, you know, at times. And sometimes I'm really, really, really <laughs> enthusiastic about it, and I'm like, let's go upstairs and fuck, you know, or something like that. But sometimes I'm not. And so it's sort of... For me, it creates this weird social situation or this weird social expectation that every time I want to have sex, I have to say to my to the potential sexual partner, do you want to have sex? And then and then particularly, do you then want to do, you know, during sex, do you want to do these things? And then that person has to be really, really enthusiastic about it, has to, you know, has to show enthusiasm for it. Otherwise, it's a signal that they don't want that. Now, I've been in situations where I've been nervous about doing things, and so I might not be the most enthusiastic about it. But I want to do it because I want to give it a try or because, you know, I've just been nervous because, you know, it's with uh, it's been a while since I've done something. And so I'm a bit nervous about how it's going to go or so, like there's inherently a lot of kind of vulnerability that goes with sex. And I think yeah. being a bit nervous is not unusual at all. Yeah. yeah. And so there's plenty of times where it's like, oh, yeah, someone suggests something and I'm like. Uh, you know, let's 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 start and see how we go, or, or uh, you know, let's let's figure it out. Yeah, I want to give it a try. I might stop you halfway through if I'm not enjoying it. That's totally fine. But I'm never, I'm not necessarily enthusiastic in a way that enthusiastic consent would would define that I have to be, and that. Could you know an enthusiastic consent model basically would say could could suggest that in those situations that I've been raped when I definitely have not been raped and I don't think and that's that's where I think that it becomes difficult as a concept to be using. Yeah, I mean there are a few things I think that it's important to kind of get out there at the at you know early on in this discussion. Also, a brief side. My I mean my understanding of enthusiastic consent would not require you necessarily to be verbalizing this stuff it's just being able to kind of express enthusiasm in, in whatever kind of form that takes yeah yeah and, but even know, then i'm not doing you know not sure always doing sure that. yeah 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 i think it's also important to say a couple of things first that i can see how critiques of consent models particularly from men as you and i are could be read or could come across as or could even become you know like a kind of entitlement expression of entitlement where it's like you know i should be able to have sex that doesn't necessarily feel in this particular way and me being able to do that is worth all the problems that comes from uh not having a simplistic model of consent so i think that that's it's important to say is just as something that it's good to be aware of throughout the discussion yeah absolutely and maybe maybe sorry just to interrupt you at that point i think one of the things that we can do is to to build off work that is being done in feminist circles around consent so some of my interest yeah, in, this, yeah. in this topic has come from uh, listening to an interview, and I've recently done an interview for a different project called Rain Agenda that I do with a, with a feminist academic called Tanya Surizia. Um, but she, I listened to an interview uh, with her on a, another podcast called Living the Dream, where she talks about consent uh, and has some of these same criticisms. Uh, and so I think it would be useful to, po- to, to to link to that as well, where you know some great feminist work that is being done in this area uh, that is really valuable that can we yeah, can of build course. off as well. Because this is obviously by no means uh, you, what's the word you know untrodden ground exactly people have been talking and thinking about this for a long time most of them women and 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 most of them certainly within uh, a feminist context 
so yeah, I, I guess I just wanted to to put that out there. I think the other thing that's really worth saying that uh, before we dive into uh, or too much further into the complexities of the topic, that I understand why people seek this kind of uh, model. Mm. The as as we have been constantly reminded, particularly over the last uh, you know, year or so, but you know, really, this has this has never been something new. Uh, sexual violence against women uh, by men is extremely, extremely common to the point that it is like shockingly normalized in the lives of most people that we, most women that we know. Obviously, you know, men men can be uh, victims of sexual violence as well, but certainly the the perpetrators are, are, are virtually always men, and that when the scale and in and just like horror of the problem is so extreme a it makes sense to want blunt instruments to solve the problem with and b maybe there are plenty of situations where that's appropriate where men's understanding of what it means to uh to to get consent or, or to to have sex in a way that both people enjoy is so low that these kinds of blunt messages might be valuable um I think it's worth saying those things uh, purely because I I don't want to um, I don't want to shit on the 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 motivations behind proposing these sorts of models. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. But I um, and I mean, it's, it's it's obviously always important to have those sorts of understandings as we go forward. Um, so yeah, I think that's they have two fair points to bring out to bring out. Um, and I and I do hear what you're saying about understanding the the reasons behind sort of consent models and the potential that consent can have in particular in, as, as a model at particular times, I think where, where it's interesting to critique it and to engage in it is, is seeing it where it's seen as a simplistic solution to sexual assault as a whole. But also I think that there's some really stuff, interesting queer stuff that we can do around this, around consent in particular in the way it deals with sex as an issue and sexual relationships. Um, where uh, I think that from, from this podcast perspective, uh, that there's a real queer perspective that really needs also to be discussed um, sure. as part of this. And I think that this this was kind of the point that we came to, as I recall, at the end of the last discussion that we had about this on the podcast was the idea of wanting a, a framework of mutuality to uh, to to deal with. I mean, it's like, God, you can't even talk about this stuff without using the, the language of consent, but to, to deal with the kind of complexities of sexual situations that you often find in queer spaces. Uh, and so, do you want to talk a bit about the uh, this interview that you heard? I'd be curious to hear hear, hear what the academic spoke about. Well, I, I think it's really interesting. Um, I, I, I used this T video, and it, it sort of goes to what you're talking about, the sort of mutuality of these sorts of... Uh, you know, wanting a mutuality of these sorts of relationships, and and I I've seen this T video uh, a few times, and we'll post it in the in the in the um in the show links. And maybe at this point, if you haven't seen it, maybe you should just stop and stop listening to the episode and have a quick watch of it because I think it's it's only a couple of minutes, but it's worthwhile watching. Um, but basically, the analogy of this T video is that 
you have someone and they say, you know, there's someone offering you tea and you want, you know, sometimes you want the tea and that means that you've given consent. Sometimes you don't want the tea and that means, you know, when if someone says you don't want tea, then you shouldn't force tea down their throat. Sometimes you say you want tea, but then you change your mind and then you don't want tea anymore. And that means, you know, if someone changes their mind and they don't want tea anymore, that's 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 a bit annoying, but that's okay. They don't want, they've changed their mind. Don't force the tea down their throat. And then it goes, you know, don't force the tea down someone's throat if they're unconscious or et cetera, et cetera. God, so it's fucking infantile. It was really infantile. But what was really interesting about this interview that I listened to, and I'd, I'd never heard this critique of this video before, uh, and I thought it was really fascinating, is that it simplified an issue, even, you know, and, and tea, I guess maybe they used tea because, tea, you know, offering a cup of tea is, is a super, is potentially a simple social situation. Uh, or it can seem like a potentially simple social situation. But what Tanya Serizia argued was that actually not all the time. Sometimes it is not a so simple social, social situation. If you are, for example, in a hypothetical world, uh, in the office of, you know, you are, uh, happened to be in the office of, you know, you went to a special event and you got to meet the Queen or you got to meet a, uh, the Prime Minister or you got to meet the Governor General and they offered you tea and you really, really didn't want tea, you're not actually probably going to say no to the tea because you're in that social situation, you're in that 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 uh, power dy dynamic that exists in that situation, uh, and so you're not going to say no to the tea because then there's a there's a bad there's bad social consequences that come from that, and so what um, this this doesn't deal with is the power dynamics that exist. If you wanted to relate to, to turn that to sex, it doesn't deal with the power dynamics that exist. It doesn't deal with the issues that can re be related to consent around those sorts of power dynamics. It doesn't deal with interesting difficult social situations in which someone might say yes to sex even though they don't want it, uh, and then they say yes even though they don't necessarily want it. And and does that equal sexual assault or not? You know, it doesn't deal with those sorts of difficult situations. And if you have a consent model, what she argued is that it doesn't deal with these difficulties. It's a, it sort of creates a simple model that can be put onto all situations that just doesn't exist. It doesn't doesn't work in that kind of way. Um, and it, in turn, removes the potential of mutuality of a potential of there being a a, dis a discourse that suggests a mutuality around sexuality and sexual relationships that can deal with those sorts of power situations that can acknowledge those sorts of power situations that can acknowledge the tensions that come with those sorts of social situations and can also acknowledge that it's not one person who is asking for sex and the other person provide you know giving it a very gatekeeping mm, yeah. sexist framework but rather that we want to create a situation and this is a situation that doesn't exist in our current world which is very sexist and has lots of power dynamics in it but we want to talk about a, a sort of utopia uh in which we can have sort of sort of be breaking down those power dynamics and looking towards a more mutual approach to sexual relationships that doesn't see or inherently see sexual relationships as a danger but something that can we can all enjoy rather than as something that the, the man wants and the, the woman suffers through pretty much which in some ways is like some of this is a real throwback to like 70s uh gay lib stuff i mean this, this stuff was kind of being and you know i'm sure to varying degrees of success and and my experience of a lot of i don't want to tar a bunch of people with the same brush but my experience of of a lot of kind of quote unquote sexually liberated communities or spaces is that a lot of sexual assault still goes on it just is not really acknowledged yeah um, so i don't know if it 
you know, as you just said, we don't live in a world where these power dynamics don't exist and just kind of pretending that they don't exist doesn't make them not exist. Uh, so so I, I think that's definitely something to but, be... But I think we now currently live in a world where we're not even talking about those power dynamics in a structural kind of way anymore. So we're not even... So, you know, at least in the gay liberation era... Uh, yeah, the, the sexual assault, I'm certain, still happened in those spaces. But there was a form of politics that was looking towards a utopia where that... Oh, happen. totally, totally. At least it yeah. was... Yeah, as you said, at least it was talked about and at least it was engaged with. So, I, so I'm a bit nervous to to bring this up, but I but it's actually I kind of saying. leads like <laughs> fairly directly from what you were saying, particularly about the idea of uh, uh, women saying yes to sex... Uh, just to kind of get through a difficult situation. So, Jermaine Greer, I'm just yeah. going to put it out there, just going to say it. it uh, there's been a, a another kind of spate of articles about her just in the last few days because her book has come out, the book that she was uh, touring to promote, I mean, what feels like months ago now. Oh, because that's right, because it was following a... Uh, a a talk that she gave at a, a literary festival in in the UK, I think, where she said some things that were clearly she'd been thinking about for this book and now she's written the book. Or maybe the publisher approached her after that talk to write the book. I'm not sure exactly how it happened. But anyway, she's- and There's been she's lots of controversy about it. I know. It's been, it's been a lot. Anyway, the, I haven't read the book, full disclosure. It's called On Rape. From what I've read about it and the reviews that I've read, it sounds like she's basically making the same arguments that she was making back in uh, June, May or June or whatever that was. And to, I was so I was so reluctant to say that to say any of this back then because people were just like so angry and so outraged at at the things that she was saying and and like. I don't have a lot of love for Jermaine Greer. I, I, I mean, she's clearly a shit stirrer. She's clearly a provocateur. And this is not, I think, an area in which we need provocation uh, or shits and certainly not shit stirring. And, and she, I think people respond to her in the way that they do because she invites it. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But... No, I was going to say maybe it'd be good to rehash to talk about what her arguments are, but maybe yeah, that's no, what you're about to no, do. No, totally. totally. That's, that's what I'm about to do. So... I think that there was a lot of merit to a lot of what she was saying, and I was surprised at a lot of the readings of it that seemed to really willfully, uh, seemingly willfully misunderstand her point, or at least just get so lost in the outrage stuff that they that they missed it entirely. So my understanding of it, and I don't want to, you know, maybe I'm like being way more generous than her argument actually was. So she so she said this stuff about wanting to redefine legally redefine rape to make it so that only very particular acts of very clearly defined like unwanted uh, sexual assaults count as rape everything else ca- should be perhaps dealt with under like civil law so people would kind of sue for for damages so her so she wants to kind of narrow the definition of rape. Yep. And that has kind of made people angry because they're like, you know, this is kind of devaluing the experiences of people who've been raped and this wouldn't fit, fit uh, your definition, blah, 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 blah. My understanding of what she's saying is that by narrowing the definition, it prevents women from having to go through the horrible experience in the courts of of or in most cases of having to prove that. 
which is a kind of traumatic, horrible experience. And it gives us a framework for thinking about lots of awful sexual situations, like, for example, what you're talking about, that in lots of ways wouldn't be considered rape, but are still there's still something there's still a problem there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's still uh yeah, I don't know, like, and we've like seen lots of problematic sex. We've seen lots of those situations come out publicly recently in the, you know in the last yeah, year or so. I mean, yeah. I, the first one that I think of is the uh, Aziz Ansari case for Yeah, totally. I was thinking, it, did they actually I don't think they actually had sex though, did they? No, they didn't have sex, but I think yeah. that there was but, there was clearly an issue. There was clearly and, I, and, I, and I'm not taking totally, totally. any side on that, but there was clearly an issue um, but also Yeah, it was clearly a kind of yucky situation whatever yeah. it was. And then, but, but also clearly something that I, well, from what I gather, just would not ever meet a standard of rape to to, to take to a legal no you know, to, to take no legally. Yeah, and so I think again, my understanding of Jermaine's argument is that she is saying that by redefining these kinds of acts, it allows us to kind of get away from all of the legal and social baggage that the word rape has and address a problem with like a very structural and broad problem with heterosexual sex and perhaps lots of sex that is uh, very informed by particular power dynamics in which usually women are uh, having these sexual situations that they don't like, but that perhaps they wouldn't themselves think of as rape or that the law wouldn't think of as rape. Um, and, and perhaps there are other legal frameworks that we can apply to these sorts of situations to facilitate uh, better outcomes for women and to kind of empower women in ways that current laws around getting criminal convictions for rape in most jurisdictions don't allow. That's my understanding. She, on top, so, and I get why it pisses people off, you know, because they're like, she wants to narrow the definition of rape. She's saying that like all these situations that are rape aren't rape. And that is kind of what she's doing. But, but I see that as a kind of tool for, for trying to actually solve a problem. Now, on top of this, she did lots of really shitty things, you know, and she said (laughs) fucking crazy stuff like, you know, rapists should get an R tattooed on their hand or something or like, I don't know, you know, she says transphobic stuff all the time and like clearly she's very frustrating and like irritating. Which which I find really frustrating about her because I think she does say interesting things underneath all of that, that crap and I wish... She would just say the interesting things because I actually yeah, do think totally, she has, totally. you know, what you're describing is an interesting thing and is an interesting concept that I think could be valuable to just, just discuss and debate. And I think touches on a whole range of stuff around the use of the uh, the the legal system, the use of the carceral system, the sort of the the um, you know the use of jails and things uh, within these situations and the problems that are inherent with that as well. I'm not sure if she talks about that so much, but. Um, you know, I think that that can connect in that, you know, crim- all of these sorts of situations, sort of a broader definition of rape sort of deals everything through the criminal code, which uh, is is dealing it through a whole range of um, problematic state institutions uh, that are problematic uh, in particular for women who are dealing with these situations and, and put them through yeah, a whole yeah, range absolutely. of yeah. awful situ- stuff. And maybe actually a narrow definition could allow... There to be other sort of social processes that can engage legal and social processes that we can engage in to deal with, um, with with 
problematic situations uh, without having to go through that sort of awful process, which is often ends up being so difficult that it ends up not being worth it in many cases, uh, mm. that it ends up being, you know, so difficult that it takes more out of you than you, than you can ever gain. Uh, and so challenging those, you know, we have a lot of, there's a lot of stuff now that sort of, and I think actually a lot of the sort of legislation around consent, you know, and there's, in the ACT, I'm interested in this, in, in the ACT, the, there's a push at the moment to move towards a positive consent legal framework, which has the potential to sort of broaden understandings of what rape means, and then to sort of uh, use blunt legal instruments. Um, and when you and the, when you're using blunt legal instruments, it sometimes removes the capacity to be talking about broader social solutions to these problems. And, uh, and I'm strongly of the view that blunt legal instruments aren't going to solve sexual assault. We need to be talking about sort of bigger, broader social 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 solutions. Um, and it's really really tempting to say, well, we need to deal with this right now. So we need to have these blunt legal instruments because otherwise, you know, this is happening. People people are, are, are suffering right now, and that is absolutely true. And I don't want to deny the the power of that, the, 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 the trauma that exists in relation to that. Um, but at the same time, I can't see blunt legal instruments being a solution in the, in the long term. They're not a solution in the short term either. We've been sort of trying to use them for years and years and years, and I don't think we're solving the problem. So we, it might be worth thinking about other solutions that sort of move away from these blunt legal instruments and, and look towards sort of ones that can be dealing with power dynamics, that can be looking at sort of mutuality around sex, that can be sort of fostering healthy sexual relationships instead. Mm. And I think, you know, that's something I like about Greer's analysis is that she does offer the, you know, they they they're off, they might not always be great solutions, but she does at least offer potential practical things that we can do. Uh, and I think also what I've, I mean, the thing that I've found most baffling about the response to what she's been saying is that her central point is effectively that sex as a kind of social institution is structured in a way and has effects that are really horrible for a lot of women and those effects are not addressed by a, a framework of rape and consent. And to me, that's a, that is a position of empathy, really. Mm. And, and I think to, to kind of see that read as the opposite of that, just is, I've, I've, I've found really, uh, yeah, I found, I found really baffling. So in terms of, Using blunt legal instruments, I think, you know, I like I absolutely, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of anti-prisons and I absolutely agree that, that we should be not uh, doing things that just result in that and, and drag people through a system that is kind of horrible for, for everyone involved. At the same time, so I have this argument, this ongoing argument with a friend of mine about not blunt legal instruments, but blunt rhetorical instruments or discursive instruments which I think is kind of what we're mostly talking about here. The idea of consent as a framework, not just in legal terms, but just in like, in terms of how we talk about this stuff. I am of the position that what we should try to, and, and I feel like violence against, men's violence against women is, is a really kind of good case study for this exact problem. I'm of the position that we should treat people as if they have intelligence in these sorts of debates and that we should be trying to encourage people to rise to a level of complexity and intelligence that will lead to interesting, complex, effective solutions. It's very radical of you, Ben. 
Well, I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. No, no, I'm just I'm being I'm being sarcastic there. I, sure, no, I, I, I but I, I, but I think that but I, I'm being sarcastic because I think that it is a position, particularly in the left, that doesn't exist anymore. There's a position of the stupid, ignorant masses that we need to educate and use legal instruments to deal with um, in particular kinds of ways. But anyway, move on. Well, but and I think that that's also true in lots of sections on the left when it comes to these same kind of rhetorical instruments. So my friend. Uh, who probably won't listen to this, so so he won't um, he won't know. But you know, if you do, hello, you know who you are. Uh, he is always of the of the position that you know what social problems have been solved without using these kinds of just really blunt uh, discourses and really blunt rhetoric that basically says racism is bad, or you know, don't beat up women, or you know, don't have slaves. Like, can we actually expect people to? Can we expect this of people? Are, are we are we being optimistic to the point of ineffectiveness? Well, I mean, I think. I mean, what's interesting about that is that his argument, from my perspective, removes the people that we're talking about from the very discourse that he's talking about. You know, that there is a, and this is what I have so many issues with in, in relation to the the left in general, and I think it exists around sexual assault. So let's, I feel bad now about throwing out of the bus, no, so let's right. just talk about this more generally. Yeah, but that's, so, so, so I'll take it more broadly, but I think that this happens in, in cases of sexual assault, but also in a whole range of other things. So actually the marriage equality debate was a perfect example of this, of there is this, what there is us, the the left, who are the socially progressive work people, and we need to have this blunt language to the to the masses out there that we need to tell them to to to, to stop being so terrible. Um, you know that, and that you know. So, for example, consent is a really good example of we need to be educating people about what consent means. Um, we, the work people, you know, the, our governments, you know, and NGOs need to educate people about what consent means. Uh, and we need to give them a, you know, this is happening at universities now where you have a compulsory three-hour course that you take about what consent is and that will solve the, the, the issue. And then now you is understand... That, is that true? Yeah, yeah, it's happening at universities. Oh, or, you know, the, you know they're, they're, they're implementing for undergraduate students, your first year you had to take a compulsory course on consent. I think it's happened... I want to say at Melbourne University is, I think, was the first place to do it. I think the ANU is looking to implement it now, after, particularly after the sexual health, uh, sexual assault um, uh, report from the the Australian Human mm. Rights Commission yeah. last year. This is the kind of things that people are starting to implement. Screw the fact that there is literally no evidence that this works. Like there is literally no evidence. In fact, the evidence suggests that it, it does nothing, which is which I find hilarious from a university perspective. That there is evidence that says that these courses do nothing. Where it, research institutions and education institutions that are based on research and we're completely ignoring all of that research just just because it's we can tick a box and say students have done a course now sure. um but but the, the point i'm getting at is that there is this idea that okay we just need to educate people about consent uh and then that will solve the issue then they'll they'll be smart enough and they'll get it and that ignores the, the realities that these people, these you know, that first of all, we are part of the problem, that the people who, who are engaging in this conversation are often part of the problem. Pa- people in powerful institutions are often the ones that are, you know, abusing women or sexually assaulting women. You know, look at, you know, Harvey Weinstein, who was this hero of the left, who yet was regularly totally, totally. assaulting women, you know, was considered this woke dude, but was, you know, is a serial sexual assaulter. 
but also assumes that there is a, there's these sort of masses out there that aren't engaging in these conversations, that aren't thinking about these issues, that aren't having complex co- discussions about them. That that the you know the poor masses of the western suburbs of Sydney and the and you know of Logan in Brisbane are not thinking about questions about sexual assault and aren't dealing with it all the time and and coming up to with their own community solutions around them. That we need to as the educated ones to tell them how to fix their problems rather than thinking about the fact that they are probably already engaging in the problem are probably thinking of solutions about it and probably one of the biggest issues is that they don't have resources to, to do their own community solutions about it um, and so us coming in and telling them to, to educating them about this stuff sort of ignores all of their intellectual capacity all of all of their their smarts all of their, their the work that they're already likely doing on this er- in this area uh, which I think is patronising, it's elitist, it's really problematic. Uh, and, and and I think ultimately probably ineffective. You oh, know, extraordinarily you, how, ineffective. How do, you, how do you change things if uh, you don't think of yourself or frame yourself in any way as part of things? Yeah, exactly. And it, and it, and it is the kind of thing that it creates backlash as well. So I think that, um, you know, there's so many examples of, increasing numbers of examples of, uh, woke leftists who consider themselves educated and who treat other people, and I don't even know who these other people are. They just, you know, they just have this imaginary bigoted masses out there. They sure, sort of treat yeah. them as the uneducated masses. They tell them how to do their things. They moralize to them. They tell them that, you know, they tell them that you're a terrible sexual assaulter or you're likely sexual assaulter and you need to change your behavior or you're a bigot, you know, you're a homophobe and you need to, you know, you're from the country, so you must be a homophobe. So we, you, you know, you know, you need to change your positions on on same sex marriage, blah 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 blah. And naturally, when people when you talk down to people, when you patronize you know patronize them, of course, there's going to be a backlash to that. It's just basic psychology. Like if someone patronizes me, I'm going to respond pretty negatively to that. Um, and I think that so much of this discourse around consent actually does that. It sort of is it's sort of like here is this simple solution. How can you not even get that? You just all you need to do is have mm, consent. You yeah. just need to you need just need to think about it like a cup of tea. Uh, when actually it's more complex than that, and the issues. Are much more complex than that than some woke person, you know, telling you to, to think just think about this like a cup of tea and watch this video and now you get consent. <laughs> Sorry, that was just like you sent me off there. <laughs> I mean, sure, yeah. I mean, you know, like I was, you and I can get fixated on on all the frustrations we have with the left. It's not like the right is doing any better. At least, oh, no. you know, at least the left is uh, is cares, you know, for what good and, that does in and there with, are for amazing, these outcomes. To me, there are amazing... Also, you know, we never, we never talk about this, and maybe it'll be worthwhile doing this one day. There are amazing portions of the left that are engaging in radical community solutions in this instance around sexual assault, that are doing so with this sort of community focus, that are thinking about doing this on a, on a ground level. You know, how can we engage in these issues uh, in really, absolutely, really cool absolutely. ways? And so yeah. I think that... And at, at a very small level, you know, I think I, I think I talked about this a little bit in the last episode we did on on a similar topic. Was, uh, you know, I, I'm certainly aware of, of of communities, like actual communities, you know, uh, that that people live in and in, are engaged in that are looking at grassroots ways to to deal with these sorts of problems. Yeah, and I think that that's incredible. And when we sort of get maybe you know when I talk about the left, it's often the like. The left that appears in the, mainstream media. The woke media. left. The dumb you know, left. The woke left, you know. Yeah, exactly. But there is there is actually amazing elements out there doing really totally, incredible stuff. Totally. It's uh, always important to say that there are lots of people <laughs> that we think are doing great things. Yeah, And yeah. often, you know, we, 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 so we're both, both of us are certainly also very politically active as well. So, it's, it's not like we just sit here and naysay everyone. Absolutely. I hope. 
<laughs> even even though we we do whinge a lot on this podcast, we do whinge a lot. We should we should uh, try to highlight the good things more often. If you'd like to get in touch or make a comment, you can do so in a whole number of ways that Simon is going to rattle off for you right now. So, we have an email address where you can email us, and that is queerspodcast at gmail.com. And we have a Facebook and a Twitter account, which is at queerspodcast. So, go and like us or follow us on either Facebook or Twitter. Uh, we also have personal social media accounts. I'm on Facebook at Simon Copland Writer and on Twitter at Simon Copland. And Ben is on Twitter at Ben C. Riley. So, go and follow us there as well. And look, if you are on our Facebook page in particular, I love like a silly, non-like emote react to things. So, give us a wow occasionally. Maybe even a sad if it's <laughs> if it's something that, that makes you sad. For what, or if you think we're sad. No, don't do that. That's a bit mean. But, you or, know, you know, share, share links it. that you think are really interesting. Um, if there's stories out there that you think are interesting that we might want to talk about or we, we could post on the page. I'll, I'll give well. them a wow. Yeah, exactly. You'll get, a, you'll get a Ben Riley wow for whatever that's worth. Anyway, off topic, you can also find the podcast on our website, which is queerspodcast.com, and Simon's laughing at me because I am not getting this right. Oh, sorry, it's still me. Oh my God, I'm doing terribly. Uh, Good thing we have a break coming up. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or whatever, all the things, we're on all the things, review us, rate us, all of that. Uh, And make sure you tell us, uh, make sure you tell a friend about (laughs) us. You've given me the you've given me the yips. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's all right. Tell a friend about us. Uh, word of mouth is the best way uh, to get the word out there about this amazing podcast that we hope you love. Thank you, as always, for listening. And we will be back soon, hopefully, with some sort of content for you to hear. Uh, we'll and try then our back best. to our regular schedule with our 50th episode. Yes. At some point in, uh, in I guess, November. Yeah, November. 50th episode is going to be very exciting. So, see you then. Earbuds, Melbourne's podcast network. Earbudsnetwork.com. Listen up, I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up! Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.